The scripture this morning is actually in the middle of a long run-on sentence um, where Paul is talking about the reason that God has created us, uh, God's workmanship to do good works, and this is how he concludes it. Until we all come in un- into unity uh, through faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. There's a famous story of Dr. Albert Einstein. Once when he had taken a train from Princeton, uh, he was on the train and the conductor was coming down and uh, punching everybody's tickets. And he got to Dr. Einstein and, and he was feeling around in his coat pocket and it wasn't there and his suit coat, it wasn't there. And, and the conductor said, well, don't worry about it, Dr. Einstein. And he went on down. Well, when he finished getting all the tickets punched and was coming back down through the car, he saw uh, Dr. Einstein on his hands and knees looking around the seat and on the floor for that ticket. And he said, Dr. Einstein, please don't worry about it. We know who you are. We trust you. To which apparently Einstein uh, replied and said, it's not a matter of trust, my son. It's a matter of destination. I need to find the ticket to know where I'm going. Well, I think a lot like that happens in the Christian faith. I think we talk a lot about trusting in God and believing in Christ. And that is absolutely fundamental and central uh, to our life now and forever. But sometimes we forget that we also have a destination, that the belief and the trust was so that we would go somewhere. And in this church, we've come to call that destination discipleship or or being more like Christ. Uh, Another way to think of it is the way the late Dallas Willard talked about it, to be able to do what Jesus Jesus would do if he were in your body. So if Jesus is driving your car behind the wheel, how would he respond? If Jesus is in that meeting on work at work, what would he do? If Jesus is at home with your family, how might he act? And, and we call that Christ likeness. And Paul said that was key. He said to the, to the Ephesians, that's a purpose to reach full maturity in Christ. And then in that amazing passage, Romans 8, 28, do you remember that where Paul reminds us that everything works for good with those who love God and are called according to his purpose? In the very next verse, 8, 29, he tells us what the purpose is. He said, because we were destined to conform to the image of God's one and only son. In other words, Paul said, that's why things work for good, because anything can be used if we let it to become more like Jesus Christ, to be, can be used on our discipleship journey. So this morning, I simply want to raise the question, what does it take to go on this journey of discipleship, to, to reach this destination of Christ likeness? And the first thing I would say is it takes intention. Uh, you don't really set off on a journey unless you decide to set off, unless you take the first step out of the house. And we need to have the intention that we, we want to be more like Christ. And so it it starts with the willingness and the desire. As the late Dallas Willard used to say, no one ever drifts into discipleship. People drift away from God all the time, but people don't usually drift toward God and especially toward the destination of Christ likeness. That's a decision that you and I make. And so I, I think it starts with that, with the intention that we want to be more the person that God made us to be, make us more like Christ. And I wish that were all there, there is to it, but that's a start. But unfortunately, just wanting to do it isn't the same thing as being able to do it. Do you remember the WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do? And I wore one of those for a while, and my problem was never 
that I, or rarely that I didn't know what Jesus would do in a situation. My problem was I couldn't do it. I know Jesus would have handled that criticism much better than I handled it. I know that Jesus would have celebrated my colleague being more successful than I am. But I, I just, I couldn't do it. And, and, and so it raised the question, but I didn't really have the ability to answer. And, and, and I wondered about that. And then I thought back to an experience I had a long time ago. Uh, you're going to have to turn way back. Do you remember the first generation of reality TV? There was a show called Rescue 911. And each week they would have reenactments of these crises where the paramedics are called. And then in the reenactment, they'd kind of give you a lesson or something to learn from it. So this particular episode, a guy's out mowing his yard and he suddenly clutches his chest and drops to the ground. He's having a heart attack. And so his wife comes out and sees this. And, and in the reenactment, she like circles him a couple times, not quite knowing what to do. Then she goes frantically to the neighbor, gets the neighbor's attention. And so the neighbor's uh, spouse calls 911. And then he goes over to her husband who's on the ground and starts to perform CPR. And sure enough, the man, uh, the man survives and does very well. Uh, but in the reenactment afterwards, uh, the woman playing, uh, playing the, the hard tech victim's wife is teary. And she said, I really wanted to help him. I wanted to do CPR. I just didn't know how. And at that moment, I remember it's like the, there's a, uh, the narrator's voice comes over the whole scene. And the narrator sternly reminds us on the TV show that there's a difference between wanting to do CPR and being and able to know how to do CPR. And that was a pretty good lesson for all of us to go out and get trained. But I think something like that happens in our journey of Christ-likeness. There's all the difference in the world between me wanting to respond better when there's a difficulty at home or at work and me being able to respond better in that situation. And the difference is simply between wanting to do something and training to be able to do something. I need to give you another example, and you're going to have to work with me on this one. I, I used to use it um, years ago. Uh, let's imagine that I am watching TV this evening, um, eating a bowl of ice cream, and the doorbell rings. And so grudgingly, I put down my bowl of ice cream and, and answer the door. And at the door is a guy that's dressed in a very smart blue blazer with a red and white striped patch and he identifies himself and he tells me he's from the u.s olympic committee and he says are you david magnitsky and go well yes i am and and he said we want you to know that we've selected you to run the marathon in the 2016 olympics in rio and i'm thinking really and he said you know and we believe in you so much that you don't even have to come to colorado springs for the trials you just go straight there. I'm thinking, well, I've never been to Rio. That sounds pretty good. And, and I'm thinking, you know, my picture on the Wheaties box. And, you know, I'm getting, I think I want to do this. I think maybe I, I, I'd like this. And so I thank the man, tell him I'll show up in 2016. And I go back and finish the bowl of ice cream. I'm so excited. I decide I'll have another. Now, what are the odds that I'm going to run the marathon in Rio or San Antonio or anywhere? None, because there's all the difference in the world between wanting to do it and having that intention and actually training to be able to do it. If I want to do it, I'm going to have to get younger. But after that, I'm, you know, I'm going to have to change my diet. I'm going to have to start running a few miles and then more each week and, and build up. And things are really going to have to be different. I'm going to have to work at it to get to that point. And, um, and when Dallas Willard and John Ortberg um, make the point about Christ-likeness, that's exactly what they say is if we're going to become like Christ, 
we're going to have to engage in some of the exercises and training that Christ did uh, when he was on this earth. Yes, Jesus was the son of God. Yes, I believe that. But also we believe he's fully human. And in his human self, he did certain things that kept certain practices that helped him become the person he was, that he was able to respond in the ways that he did respond. So in other words, Jesus didn't just show up to be Jesus, but he also worked at things that helped him be the man that changed the world, uh, turned it up upside down. So my suggestion this morning is actually a pretty simple one. I think if we want to become more like Christ and reach the destination of Christ likeness, it would behoove us to look at some of the activities that Jesus did while he was on this earth and see if we could pick up a few of them. That maybe if, if, if he went to the God's gym and did certain things, maybe we ought to consider doing some of those things and begin to train so that we might have uh, more than just the intention of being like Christ. We'll actually develop some of the muscles that will help us do it. And it doesn't matter how badly I want to run the marathon if I don't do any training. Uh, you just you can't do it. Even the first marathon. Do you remember the first marathon? Euripides. Uh, the, the Greeks defeat the Persians. And so he runs 26.2 miles across the plains of Marathon to give the Athenians the word so they won't surrender to the Persian fleet out in the harbor. But, of course, he's never run it before. And, he, and what happens? He finishes the first marathon, gives the thumbs up sign for victory, and he falls dead. Falls dead. There's a difference between wanting to do the marathon and training. So here's some training for Christ-likeness. I want to point out a few things. You've heard Matt talk about it before. You've heard me talk about it before. But a way that we talk about it to try to help us remember it, we use an acronym called STARS. And STARS are not only characteristics of people that follow Jesus, but luckily for us, there are also things that people do to help them follow Jesus. So let me walk you real quickly back through them again. Uh, the S for us is uh, sonship. It means that we know we're sons and daughters of God. Uh, that's the very first thing is Jesus, it, when he's baptized, the heavens open and a voice says, you're my son. I love you. You bring me happiness. Jesus starts his journey of Christ likeness, if you will, with the fact that he's loved. And so knowing you're a son or daughter. And so why didn't we call it daughterhood? Because you can't spell stars with a D. So just work with me for a little bit. But it's just if you don't start out of love, you're not going to get there because the rest of your life, if you don't really believe you're loved, you're going to be trying to do things to prove to Jesus that you're lovable. And once you get on that treadmill, friends, I'm going to tell you, you don't get off unless it throws you off. You just never get there. So Jesus started from the beginning knowing how much he was loved. And so we start knowing we're loved. The T is for uh, text. That's what the Jews call the scripture. So Jesus wouldn't have called it the Holy Bible. He would have called it text. And again, you can't spell stars with a B. So we, we chose text as well. But here's the thing to know about Jesus, Paul, Mary, Martha, Lydia, uh, whoever you want to name in the New Testament, if they're following Jesus or they're following a rabbi, they know the Bible inside and out. The Sermon on the Mount is full of all sorts of things that Christians think Jesus made up until they learn the Old Testament and they realize Jesus is just quoting the Bible back to people on the Sermon on the Mount. The book of Revelation 
seems mysterious to many, but when you realize that a lot of Revelation is, uh, is predicated on us knowing Exodus and Daniel and other Old Testament passages, it starts to make sense. Some years ago, a guy wrote a book on Revelation uh, when I was much younger called The Late Great Planet Earth. I don't know if you ever heard about that. And, and he used Revelation to predict the future. And so one of the things is he looked at the grasshoppers that show up in Revelation and decided that they were helicopter gunships. So one of the things he did is he predicted this conflagration that would take place in Israel and the European common market fighting the communists. And, and they, they all come together and, and it's a mess. And the grasshoppers represent the gunships. Maybe. But a Jew in the first century or a Jewish Christian would have said, well, grasshoppers, that's a plague in the Exodus. What Revelation is talking about is when God's people are enslaved to sin and death or, or foreign power. God's going to release them and free them. And the main thing you need to know is not that it's freed by helicopters firing weapons at us, but it's freed by the power of God who brings plagues so that his people can enjoy freedom. So it just helps to know the scripture. It helps know the text. Third thing we pick out A. A is for action or, or an active faith. Jesus said this to his disciples. I am among you as one who serves. In other words, Jesus said, I'm going to act. In certain ways. And so he exercised the servant muscle. And that's how he grew in his ability. Uh, what we might call his journey uh, to, to, to fullness uh, under, under God. And um, one of the things that, that Easterners are different than West in this. Is the West thinks if I believe the right things I'll do the right things. Easterner like a Hebrew thinks if I do the right things I'll come to figure out the right things to believe. And so one of the things they say in the book of Acts is that Jesus went about doing good. That was how he built his spiritual muscles was by helping people who were in need. Uh, years ago, they, they did a survey. It's almost 20 years old now. I, I don't think they've changed their findings. And they looked at Christians like you and like me, normal Christians, and said, how is it that they move forward in their faith? And what they found is if people move like uh, uh into hyperdrive in their faith, one of two things has happened. One is they had a tremendous personal crisis that brought them to their knees to where all they had was God. And so they developed deeper intimacy and connection with God. And that really helped people. The other thing they found that helped people is that they got involved in some sort of cross-cultural service. They went and served and helped and blessed people who didn't have a chance in the world of paying them back. And that they grew by leaps and bounds when they do this. And, and you've heard me say, I don't know if people in Burundi get anything out of my visit. But I grow a lot by, by going there. So I'm looking at these. If I want to grow in my faith, I could have an intense personal crisis that brings me to my knee. Or I could go out and serve other people. I think I'll choose service. Seems to be a better way. And so uh, the action is what that service is about. R is for relationships. You see Jesus, you accept occasionally in prayer, you don't find him alone. Even when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he brings three people with him. They just fall asleep. He's always with Peter, James, and John. Occasionally he's with the other nine disciples with him. Sometimes there are seven women following. Sometimes he's at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Sometimes he's at the home of Peter's mother-in-law and her family. But Jesus travels in a pack. Travels in a group because there's something about a group and relationship that brings out the best in us. You probably already know if you're climbing a mountain, you'll climb higher with other people. If you're running a race, you'll run further 
with other people with you. If you're studying a subject, you'll, you'll go deeper if people are with you. There's something in the power of community that brings out the best of us and helps us do what we can't do alone. Every once in a while, when I get a chance, I'll come across the reruns of Band of Brothers. If you'll remember that show about uh, from uh, D-Day all the way through uh, through the Battle of Bulge to finally uh, liberation of the concentration camps of Nazi Germany. But one of the lessons of that uh, series was just the power uh, of being in a platoon, how these men would not only live for each other, they die for each other. And that brought out the best in all of them. And so relationships are a critical part of our Christ-like journey. And finally, the other S, we stand for spirit or Holy Spirit. And you could make that first if you want. You can put it anywhere you want. But the fact of the matter is Jesus didn't do a single miracle without the Holy Spirit filling his life. Just simply couldn't. When he is baptized and God says, I love you, you're awesome, uh, you bring me joy, then the Spirit came upon him and filled him so he could do the things uh, that he did. It's interesting to me that in their three-year discipleship course, Jesus set the curriculum and the disciples only asked for one elective. One day they came to Jesus and they said, would you teach us how to pray? Because prayer was that intimate connection with the Holy Spirit. And the disciples had followed Jesus long enough to know that's the difference. That's the difference between him and us. He has that spirit inside. You know, I got here by car this morning, and you're not surprised to know that I turned on the engine. You know, if I'd have pushed my car to get here this morning, I'd still be on the way. There's something about the Holy Spirit that is the engine of our life. In faith, without the presence of God filling us and strengthening us and encouraging us, we're just not going to make it very far. And however far we do make it, it's going to be a hassle and very hard to get there. So my encouragement is look at those five things and, and see if one of them would help you. You know, maybe you don't need to do all of them. Just do one of them that will help you The most that you feel like will get you further in your faith life. Some of you may just need to spend more time realizing how much you are loved and how much you're valued. And maybe before you ever say a prayer or open your Bible, you just need to soak yourself in the reality that you are the beloved of God, that God could not and will not love you any more than God already does. And you cannot make God love you less. And to kind of start in that, maybe you just need to get that foundation. Or maybe you need to expand uh, Bible study. Or maybe there's a place of service. You know, pick out what will help you the most. And you might say, well, how do I know it's helping? The answer to me is this. Are you more loving than you were? Last week, last month, last year. I mean, the whole measure is how loving are we toward God, toward our neighbor, toward the stranger. If, if we are reading the Bible and getting meaner, we probably need to put the Bible down for a while. It's a matter of how loving we have become. That's how I know to measure my progress. And then let me finally say, you're probably not going to get all the way to Jesus in this life, in Christ-likeness. But it's only a Westerner that wants to knock it all out and check the box. You know, like every once in a while I think I need to, to pick up another foreign language. And then the thought it comes to me and I'm thinking, I'll never master it. Before I die, I'll never master it before I can't remember anything. And so what happens? I don't pick it up at all. So how much do I know of that foreign language? Nada. Well, I know that word. Um, But a Hebrew doesn't look at it that way. They look at it not about finishing, but just going on the journey. Can I get closer to Christ likeness 
than I was? Can I know more and do more and be more today than I was last year? I think it's classically put by a rabbi had a, uh, one of those newspaper columns where people would write the rabbi a question and he would answer. This is one of my favorite ones I read was, Dear Rabbi, I have tried to quit smoking and try as I might, I cannot give up cigarettes. Do you have any advice? And his answer was, he wrote back and he said, yes, smoke less. For a Westerner, we're like, what? For, for an Easterner, there's, there's progress. We moved from here to there. Is there one thing we can pick up on the journey? One exercise in God's gym in which Jesus participated. Is there one thing we can do that might move us closer? It'd be worth doing. And you might say, well, I'm not completely sold that this is the destination for me or this even the journey I want to take. I don't have much response to that except to tell you that C.S. Lewis said something very wise 60 years ago. He said, most of us Christians are like a child playing and making mud pies in the slums because we have no idea what it means to take a vacation at the beach. And what he was saying is that those things we think are so big that we work at, popularity, power, prestige, possessions, are nothing compared with the possibility of living a life that actually positively affects and lifts the lives of others around you, which happens as you move closer toward the likeness in Christ. It is a destination that's worth attaining, and that makes it a journey very much worth doing.